I'll pass over the English coast 15 minutes ahead of time, sir. Well, with this load on our back, that's good going. What the hell is that? Shuttle ignition. The situation is critical. We've got to find that shuttle. What do you know about Moonraker? Crash somewhere in the Yukon. Aircraft and shuttle total destroyed, correct? That's the official version. The truth is rather more disturbing, 007. Are you suggesting the shuttle was hijacked in midair? That's for you to find out, 007. Then California must be the place to start. Welcome to California, Mr. Bond. I like it already. I'm sure Mr. Bond is eager to start his tour. Look up to Mr. Bond. See that some harm comes to him. Hang on, James. The thought had occurred to me. What's the machine? Shaken, not so. That is seven. No slip-ups. Oh, but no Welcome to the Tailoring Talk Show with me, your host, Roberto Rivilla. I'm a bespoke tailor, menswear designer, and founder of Roberto Rivilla London Suit and Shirt Makers. This is the podcast where you drop in for the threads, but often leave with something quite unexpected. If you haven't already, please support the show by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's time for part 11 of the Tailoring Talk James Bondathon, where we follow the James Bond film series in order, ticking off each movie as each month goes by. My guests and I deep dive into each film, covering everything from our overall review to the plot, clothes, gadgets, cast, behind the scenes stories and our favorite moments. Step back into the tailoring talk time machine as we head to 1979. We were meant to get for your eyes only, but a little rinky dink sci-fi movie called Star Wars turned Cubby's head, changed the direction of cinema and the course of the Bond saga as they attempted to cash in on space fever. With me today, Drax wanted to create a master race from the heavens, and no master race would be complete without a sexy voice. From the Play Paul's Turn podcast, it's John Evans. John, how are you? I'm hoping for some pleasant hunting tonight, Mr. Rivilla. Hunting of facts about Bond. Hunting of facts, uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you might have come to the wrong place. Also, <laughs> it's like a little Play Paul's Turn uh, reunion tonight. Also from the Play Paul's Turn podcast, if anyone could persuade Jaws to stop biting people's necks and assist him to foil a plot to destroy humanity, it's our voice of reason, Alex Hansford. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you, Bobby. You, um, with your headphones, you look like one of the Moonraker operators, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I do. Very <laughs> much so. What would your operator number be? Oh, good idea. I think it would be 42. 42? Well, yeah. as in, would you be playing a bit of funky bass, like level 42? No, no, no. It's um, it's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. reference. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm obviously the weakest 
of uh, <laughs> of the play pools turn geeks um can I I mention that? Be, this is I'd a be, space one i'd be johnny number five wouldn't i let's be honest johnny yeah. number five yeah from short circuit <laughs> yeah why because my name's john and it's a number <laughs> that's the best, that's, the best that's it. <laughs> you, you started this, Bobby. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I didn't have a nice breaker prepared. You see, so you know, <laughs> I was. I'm improvising. <laughs> right. Um, already, this is the worst Bondathon episode to date, and we haven't even got started. Um, but before we get started, I must get our spoiler alert in early. This film has been out for just 43 years, but for those of you who haven't seen it. We will be spoiling the living daylights out of this one. So if you haven't seen it, hit pause, go see the movie and rejoin us after. Moonraker was released in June of 1979 with a runtime of just over two hours. I don't know why for a second there I was just my brain short circuited because I was actually trying to think back to June 1979 and I obviously don't have any memory of that whatsoever because I was about 18 months old. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I don't know what reference I was trying to trying to grab there. Um, budget of 13. No, hang on. This one had a budget of 30 million dollars. It was double was, the previous film, Bobby. Double the previous film. Bobby. Double the previous film. And as much yeah. as the first six Bond films put together, and it grossed over $230 million, which I think makes it the most successful Bond film to date at that time. Um, so Cubby definitely, uh, with the idea that he had to make the biggest, most extravagant Bond film ever, definitely knocked it out of the park. Um, starring uh, Roger Moore in his fourth outing as James Bond, so almost catching up with Sean Connery. Lois, is it Lois Chiles or Childs? How do you pronounce her surname? Does anyone know? I think it's Childs. Oh, mm. Childs. Okay, we'll say Childs. Um, Lois Childs as Dr. Holly Goodhead. Michael Lonsdale as Hugo Drax. Richard Keel returns as Jaws. Uh, Corin Clary is played by Corin Dufour. And then uh, Bernard Lee, Desmond Llewellyn and Lois Maxwell return as MQ and Moneypenny. Toshiro Suga um, is Chang, who's the first henchman of Drax. Um, and then there's some other people in it as well. Uh, Dolly is play played by Blanche Ravalek. You should probably mention her. And General Gogol's back in this one. Remember General Gogol from, uh, I think it was from You Only Live Twice. Mm. Uh, but he's back, played by Walter Gottel. Uh, directed by Lewis Gilbert um, from a screenplay by Christopher Wood. Um, this was based on the novel of the same name, but because in Fleming's books, well, firstly, this was written before they actually managed to put a man on the moon. And it was also written, uh, you know, as very sort of light reading. Um, and there certainly wasn't enough in the books to fill out a film and certainly not a film of the scope that these guys were cooking up. So, um, so you know, we, we got what we got. Sorry, people, the World Cup's on at the moment at the time of recording. And I've been a bit distracted. I was trying to do my homework, <laughs> but then Portugal v Uruguay was on. So, you know, hey, what can I do? Um <laughs> 
I think this is the. <laughs> I think this is probably the Bond film when I was a little child because again I've told stories about my mum just sticking me in front of a television and putting a bootleg VHS on whatever my grandfather had managed to get his hands on at the time, and I think of all the Bond films, Moonraker was the one that I watched the most, and it was because I Star Wars was by far and away my most favourite film as a small boy. And this was like the closest thing because it had the space and it had the lasers and all of that stuff. Um, and that's exactly what the producers were sort of hoping for, I guess. Um, John, Moonraker, special place in your childhood? Because I know yeah, I know do, that this viewing was not the first time you've seen it. it. Do you know what, though? I think it was only the second time I've ever seen this film. I, I, oh, wow. There's so much of it I didn't remember. I mean, I remember certain amazing bits in it that we will talk about later on. But um, I think I've only seen this once before because there's yeah. bits of it I have no memory of at all. Um, yeah, no. I, I would have been six when this came out. Okay. So I would have been 18 months old when this came out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I remember the set pieces I remember were definitely the um, sexy time at the end with the yep. whole re-entry thing. Um, Possibly the best <laughs> line in Bond history, I think, that line. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Jaws and um, and his and, and his girlfriend, uh, but in space. I don't remember anything about that before. Dolly, sorry. Um, the bit in the centrifuge thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. And then obviously all of the space stuff with the astronauts, you know, you know, pew, 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 pew. Um, God knows how that's going to sound in the edit. Alex, how about you? Well, I was a twinkle in my my mum and dad's eye at the time, so I don't think I would have. But I did do remember watching it when I was a boy. So it, it was, you know, I think it had been on at a, you know, a holiday or something, at Christmas yeah. or holiday, yeah. Exactly. And I think um, it, it was the first Bond in space. And I don't think you can really beat that. Um, so I think I think was that, it that's why. No, was so it, it though? Wasn't the first, it wasn't the first Bond in space. Wasn't did it? Did Sean Connery in You Only Live Twice, did he actually get to space? Or was he mainly in the volcano on the ground? Well, I don't think he actually okay. got up there. It depends what you mean by Bond in space. Do you mean a, a Bond film with space in it? Yes. Yes, I do think that bond, bond, <laughs> in, bond in space. Okay, so bless I you, think... John. Um, so, <laughs> so Alex is right. This is the first Bond film where Bond is actually in space, but it isn't the first Bond film that has got space in it. No, that's true. Yeah, but it's the thing is, you've got Jaws in space, and you've got Jaws's girlfriend, and it's really the Jaws show with Bond. And there's so much in it that's oh, so much fun. So, yeah, I think this this was one of those things that just sort of indelibly went in my mind. And and I think I think it really it really had hit 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 sort of a chime somewhere. And and I think I think it's it's not bad. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it's the start of Bond, but it would have been one of the one of the ones I saw. Yeah. So speaking of Jaws, opening set piece, um, which was jaw dropping, Jaws dropping, <laughs> under, God, that was crap. Um, 
I mean, it was quite a thrilling sort of opening set piece. So Bond is, uh, well, actually, no, before that, because we've got the theft of the uh, Moonraker space shuttle, haven't we, first of all? Mm. Um, So you've got the the space shuttle that's on the back of whatever's transporting it, um, and then two people get out of some hidden compartment uh, but they're then... leather jackets, we should say. Yeah, I, I was like, what the hell's going on here? I, I um, thought the security was especially lax on that really important space shuttle they were transporting extremely. by the RAF, which, which interestingly, the, the RAF plane had her cupboards labelled trash, um, which vexed me somewhat because I'm pretty sure the RAF, RAF would not have cupboard, you know, the metal sort of lockers that store all the airplane food mm. called trash. I'm pretty sure that was an American plane, not a British plane. Yeah, exactly, because we'd have called it rubbish or some yeah. such. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they nick they nick the space shuttle and completely blow the RAF plane out of the sky, mm-hmm. and then this is where Bond is called back from his mission, and I think he's in Thailand, um, and and this is where shagging uh, his way into trouble again. Another lady in bed with him with a gun under a pillow. So if we're keeping it, so if we're starting the shagometer <laughs> for this episode. Does that count as a shag? Because oh, is he in bed with her? Well, no, no. I think the, I think he intimated that the 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 other the other fellow, the pilot who turned around with a gun to, he said he said I think it was something like, oh, we're a bit premature, aren't we? Um, can we just you know? It was hinting that nothing actually happened yet. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. okay. I don't think that was shag number one. Yeah. So the uh, tailoring talk slash play Paul's turn var, <laughs> um, basically says no shag. <laughs> um, moving on. <laughs> so so Bond's on a plane on his way back to England and uh, and then uh, gets into a fight with the people on the plane um, and then ends up basically uh, getting shoved out of the plane without a parachute. So he has to go after the other bad guy to get his parachute. There was a very famous scene in Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser, not such a famous movie, I just realised, but it's famous to me because I've seen it so many times. Where Ar- Yeah, Arnie has to do yeah. the same thing, right? Um but where the hell did Jaws come from? Did anyone notice Jaws on the actual plane before these two jumped out? Yes, briefly. When he jumps out yeah. with the other guy, there's a third person at the door, and it is Jaws. I, and I it is Jaws. Ah, uh, okay. Right. But he must pop- have been in the loo, and he yeah. must have come out the loo, and the, which which confuses me a bit because... He was quite, you know, Bond was quite intimate at that point. Even so Jaws you- needs to have a poo, though, um, Alex. But this must have been a pretty long poo, really. Poo? I mean, it, must have, it must have been in there. Well, from Jaws, I bet it was, to be yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that 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 plane was doomed anyway. Can you imagine it's Jaws going and blocking up that loo? If I take Emily to the toilet, it's just a little... You just need you a little bag, drop that right? You people below, do you? Blimey. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, Jaws going to the loo is like flipping taking a bloody Doberman to the loo. You need a black oh, bag geez. to clean that up. Jeez. Oh, so I've got dogs. So yeah, when you start talking about bum rubbish, then I start, you know, equating it to <laughs> dogs. Um anyway, sorry, where were we? Um so yeah, so opening set so it was it was brilliant. Um and obviously yes. you could see that the stunt men weren't Roger Moore and weren't yep. Richard Keel and weren't the <laughs> other. I mean, it was so obvious. Um and you could see the zips on the back of their suit jackets where they'd been yeah. altered. Um, to well, put a, a parachute underneath, yeah, 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 and you know, I know it's, but but you see, it's ironic because we're going to talk later on about the cable car sequence, right? So you understand the need for safety, 
But they're so yes. inconsistent, the Bond filmmakers, because <laughs> there was no safety going on on the cable car sequence. As I say, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, so, yeah, so um, so Bond gets the bit better of villain number one, but then Jaws jumps it. Jaws drops out of the plane and drops in for a bite and um, uh, ends up uh, coming the wrong end of, uh, you know, trying to get hold of a parachute or whatever and then he goes flying into a circus that's going on so i think the thing for us is that for, for carolina and i is that we're watching this opening sequence and it was very thrilling and then all of a sudden it just turns into pantomime when jaws <laughs> you know sort of plummets head first into this circus brings the whole thing down and uh and you know it kind of set the tone for jaws in the rest of the film i think which I- you know, it was a little like bit the, of a shame. The, the segue, the very, very, I thought the very clever, arty segue of him falling into the, the trampoline is net, and that then becomes the first graphic for the nudie lady dancing in a silhouette um, opening mm. sequence. <laughs> and I thought that was, I just thought that was quite a clever little sort of um, artistic segue from the actual scene to, you know, to the usual opening sequence. Yeah, but it was still very, you know, rah, 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 you know, <laughs> with that, his that the fact it was really silhouette spinning around. Well, all the all the cars shook and the ground shook when he, when he hit the bottom. <laughs> of the I love the miniatures in this film. They were so <laughs> endearing and charming, all of them. There was there was a lot of miniature work in this there film, were, yeah. um, but you know that neatly did lead us into the title sequence. You're absolutely right, John. And then we get Shirley Bassey back for a third time. Um, and John's already screwing his face up. I admit, it's not a bad song, but it. But when it comes on on my 007 playlist, it is one that I just skip almost straight mm. away. I probably let her get mm, halfway through the first verse, and then I hit the forward button. Um, Alex, how do, how do you feel about Moonraker, the theme song? It's fine, but it's not. It's not great. I think there's a lot better songs. I think I think that's the problem when you have such a, a powerful like history of songs. Then I think it's just that this one was a bit meh. Kind of carried uh, yeah. on the carried on the sort of um, I don't know how you describe the see the music for the Roger Moore era Bond films up until you get to A View to a Kill, which is brilliant, by the way. Richard Gore will be listening to this and he'll be breaking his radio or whatever it is. He, do people listen to podcasts on the radio? You can't, can you? Why did I just say that? On his can wireless. A Robert stream or something like that. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, he won't be. But yeah, he'll be breaking his iPhone or whatever uh, listening to me, except because he thinks Duran Duran is one of the worst Bond songs ever, which I totally disagree with. I think it's brilliant. Um, but the the Bond songs for more prior to that were very don't know but I don't want to say weak but they had a certain style that was kind of in keeping with Roger Moore's Bonds right do you, do you know what I'm trying to Lots you know what I'm trying to say wah-wah guitars and kind of, mm. sort of big band feel to them and kind of ballady yeah a bit like you know the riff that uh, Robbie Williams used for one of his songs this would be um, the chords, the string chords from some of the Yeah, bottom. wasn't that from You Only Live Twice? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, Millennium. It's kind of that kind of, you know, orchestral, slightly mm. 70s guitar twang kind of riff, really. Mm. Mm. 
So yeah, so anyway, didn't blow us away. The one thing that I did think about through the title sequence is there's a lot of nipple in there, aren't there? Like oh, if yeah. You're a, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're a small kid... No wonder I don't remember the title sequence. My mum probably always fast-forwarded that bit. Yeah, because can't look at naked women. There's a lot of naked women stuff going on. I said to Carolina, I said, there's, why, why do they always have naked, like totally naked women in the title sequences? She's like, because it's just sexism, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's, it's, bro- it's the broccoli thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you, are these? If you look at. Oh, sorry, Carol. No, 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 you go. Go, carry on. Well, if you look at one of the sequences in the film, which we'll talk about later on, where Bond enters this massive lair and there are just basically beautiful women all around him, I can just imagine that being Albert Broccoli walking into his just one of his park, you know, one of his big palaces in Las Vegas and having all these sort of female flunkies surrounding him. It was very much a lot of um, kind of wish for film part I imagine yeah mm. what do you think oh, I agree. Um, yeah no, I agree as well I, I'm just wondering what were these films rated when they came out were they like rated 15 or 18 15 maybe back I then know they, I don't know if they had those ratings at the time I mean this film um, I'm just trying to get up now. I, I can't see look up there. like maybe look up Moonraker VHS cover and it would have like UK, that's the Google search I'm doing right yeah, now. I'm looking at it now. Oh, I can't. PG a certificate. It's a it's a pretty cool poster, I have to say the, the Moonraker poster. I can't see. Uh, I, I think if we had the time to do this and look it up, but it's it's pretty cool. No, no, no yeah, certificate A wherever that is. But here, I've got some here Moonraker, that are PG. Um, yeah, it was so. it was an A, which was for for Adult anyone. I think advisory. No, I think advisory was what it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Which but, is um, the American version of PG. Yeah, it's P. It's PG in the UK. Um, yeah, but that might be a retrospective because they sometimes read certificate films, don't they? Well, that was um, its original, so they kind of. Yeah, I'm just having a look on IMDb, and yeah. the thing is, it was it's always been P- PG, but the original was. Basically, it says United Kingdom A. Um, yeah. Well, we meet, um, well, obviously, he has his mission briefing with M and uh, Q and everyone. Uh, Bernard Lee's looking a lot older, isn't he? I don't know how many more he did after this one, mm. but I know he was obviously getting on and he, was, he wasn't he was well either as we mm. kind of went drink, into the drink A. Drink his nose, wasn't he? Bit of diphtheria there. Mm. Sorry, diphtheria, not diphtheria. Drink his nose. You could see from his nose he was... He obviously liked the old tipple and was getting on a bit. Yeah. Very sad. Um, but Bond yeah. gets a gadget. The first of many gadgets in this film, actually. So I'm not I'm not gonna do my usual to Alex and put him on the spot because I don't think that would be fair. Because there's just two there's, I even I, I lost quite count. a lot. Mm. I've got I mean there are quite yeah, a lot, lot, but but the what's funny is is I mean they are all used. Because there, there's so much that he gets out of the using the gadgets this time. So isn't there's nothing we've, thrown we've away. We've got to that stage is, now, where, where, where when the gadgets are um, shown, it's pretty much foreshadowing a, a sequence in the film. Oh, yeah. totally. Well, yeah, and otherwise, the, why would you have them? There are a few. Well, the thing is, yeah, we'll come on to it because there's a there's basically a gadget off that we need to talk about later on. But oh, one brilliant gadget. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Um but yeah, most of the ones that he's given uh, he uses so that that's quite straightforward. I think you almost get the feeling that he didn't get the fo- so so when you you think of later films like um 
Goldeneye being probably the best example where, you know, he's given a range of gadgets in Goldeneye. Mm. You know, the Omega watch with the laser, the pen uh, with the clicky top, um, the BMW Z3. Yeah. Yeah, the was BMW Z3. He could remote control yeah. his, his beamer in the garage yeah, with, with his phone. The, well, yeah. that was in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, which all that happened in Brent Cross Car Park, uh, just literally a couple minutes away from me, by the way. Um, awesome. uh, I used to drive my little Ford Fiesta 1.4 Gear X around it with that soundtrack on. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, much to the security guard's amusement. Um, mm. So uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So he gets one gadget. But you almost feel like in this film, they kind of didn't maybe know exactly where the script was going as they were shooting. And so the gadgets that then pop up later, it's like when they get stuck in the exhaust vent before the space shuttle incinerates them. And it's like, oh, my God, because I said I was like, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Because I'm thinking he's only got that wrist gadget, the wrist darts. Um, and then obviously he gets his watch out and he's got a handy little bit of C4 and a and a yep. detonator thing on it. Um, Which so it's very calmly, very slowly just put together as if he's like sewing up a, you know, a, a stitch in his jacket. And you think probably um, Holly was going, come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, but she wasn't though, because again, okay, we're, we're just going to jump cool. backwards and forwards, which is fine. But, um, but, you know, at the end when they have to go after those nerve gas canisters in space and shoot them and they're skipping across the Earth's atmosphere and the plane's like literally going to pull apart or whatever and it's getting really, really hot. But he's just raising an eyebrow and he's just calmly, you know, uh, okay, you know, uh, I need training. to... The thing he's jammed, you know, get the joystick out, Spectrum ZX joystick or whatever it is, and you know, <laughs> calmly, uh, calmly do it that way. Do it manually. Why didn't you do it manually in the first place? You pro- probably would have had more chance of sorting it out. But but neither of them are panicking or shitting bricks or anything. Um, so they're very very calm all the way through. Um, and speaking of calm, we then meet Hugo. Is it Hugo Drax? Hugo Drax. I yeah. want to say Hugo Drax. I haven't looked at his name. Well, I mean, uh, we, 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 you, you mean we go to his big sort of um, complex where he's built his, he's transported his own French chateau across to, to the middle of the American <laughs> countryside. But I just want, just want to go back a bit very briefly, um, Bobby, because um, his his first suit I thought was really nice. Um, mm-hmm. which was a sort of a nice double breasted thing with a waistcoat. But what I noticed most of all, which is a really nice touch, and it's a sign of a true gentleman, was his, of his two buttons, the bottom one was undone. Yes, as it should be. And you don't, it should be. And I just think that little sort of attention to detail was was that the studio or was that more that just they did that? I wonder. That's why I found. Well, no, it's 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 just general etiquette, John. Yeah. It, so not more, not studio. It's just what you should do. It's a law of nature. Yeah. 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 Well, obviously, and then and then um, we we met the slutty slutty chopper pilot. With, it was literally. Yes. Oh my god! Yeah! 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 So we mustn't forget that. And, and again, I have to say, um, and I know the Bond franchise has not got a great history with women and how they treat women. This was a film with a lot of very, very beautiful women in this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was an interesting character, but I also, I also knew straight away, because I had I get no memory of her and the sequence of the film at all. I knew straight away when she helped Bond later on that she was up, for, you know, chopper pilot was up for the chop, basically. Um but let's 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 go to Drax as you were saying in his French chateau. Yeah, totally. Um well 
there were before we even got to Drax. I mean, there was Slutty Chopper Pilot, and then there were two more women, and then there were more there women. Sexy, fit, sexy fitness ladies outside of this. Yeah, over. there was just That's women it. popping out everywhere. Um, so it's great. Apparently, astronaut training school. Like, you know, if that's how you train to be an astronaut to go up into space by doing Jane Fonda fitness videos. <laughs> well, they were the master race, weren't they? So they're already pretty quite fit, I imagine. But uh, yeah, yeah, not not that fit. Um, there was anyway. a fair bit of oiling, I, I imagine. Yeah, greasing but, up. <laughs> but it's like Drax. Drax, right? He's really cool. He's got his uh, manservant next to him as well. Um, who incidentally was the Taekwondo instructor of one of the producers or someone on the crew. So they basically just sort of used him. Um, so he wasn't an actor, he, actor. He, he, he reminded me instantly as he walked in of, um, I just thought Drax was going to say, ah, Keto, oh, Keto. Go for, <laughs> full Inspector Clues on him and have a fight in the, in the, in the, in the chateau, but that didn't happen. So Is it... Um, have you seen um, Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Brydon in The Trip? Yeah. You know when they're doing their sort of impressions of Roger Moore and <laughs> yes. and, and then they do the villain and it, come, come, Mr. Bond. Are they do, is it Drax that they're doing for that? Because he says, come, Mr., come now, Mr. Bond. <laughs> I was really disappointed that Roger Moore didn't raise an eyebrow and say, it's a little bit early for that. Well, we, we, you know, you, you, I mean, We've missed the big, the big elephant in the room here straight away with um, Doctor Goodhead. I mean, good afternoon. Can I help you? Yes, my name is Bond, James Bond. I am looking for Doctor Goodhead. You just found her. A woman. Your powers of observation do you credit, Mister Bond? James, to my friends. Holly Goodhead. Are you training to be an astronaut? I'm fully trained. On loan from NASA, the Space Administration. Well, Mr. Bond, I guess we'd better get started. You don't want to lose time as well as the space shuttle, do you? Is this the, is this the first film of, I mean, have we had Pussy Galore yet? We have, haven't we? Yeah, we had Pussy Galore. Yeah, we have. So, <laughs> so it's not the first naughty name they've chosen for an actress. And we know we've got... Um, Christmas coming on later, aren't we? Christmas comes but once a year. But um, I, I just thought that they, there were very, very few quips from Bond about her name. I thought he missed so many opportunities there. Mm-hmm. By the way, I think the line is, I've always wanted to spend turkey in Christmas. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, the, the World Is Not Enough is my Bond film because all the SFX yeah. on that film were done on computer rigs that I designed, <laughs> built. Yeah. Nice. Right. We'll get to that eventually. And it's the first and only ever Bond film I saw with my dad in the cinema. Um, yeah, he gave away a massive spoiler alert when, you know, when Goldie turns up. Um, yeah, yeah my, da- my dad just sort of went out loud. He was like, oh, he's the bad guy, isn't he? <laughs> it's like some groans <laughs> around the cinema. Um, he's like Homer Simpson as they walk out of Star Wars, isn't he? Yeah, basically, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, Drax, look at the way that Drax is dressed. We're going to talk about the tailoring. Because he's wearing the typical Bond, Blofeld style, you know, kind of... um, That they use in um, uh, um, Austin Powers, isn't it? Yeah, Mm. exactly. 
It's a tunic. You kind of like walk in and it's like, okay, so this is the evil guy. I mean, you just see someone dressed like that. They're evil. Okay. He um he was very good at the piano though. I I, th- I think he was actually playing that piano when he when they. Do you yeah. really? Do you think so? I think he was because I, I watched I very carefully. Was. No, but I watched very carefully. <laughs> I don't think at the 1979 they had the technology to blend those hands because it was it was a one it was a one shot from his hands up to him. I was very impressed by that. The audio didn't very... even match. That was the problem. So he could have been playing. He could have been playing, but it, it, I don't think he was playing the same. Because it didn't no. match what he was playing. He was it, miming it, something else, was he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Michael uh, Michael Lonsdale was a French actor, um, and they had to have a French actor, or they decided to have a French actor because it was a French-British co-production. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was sometimes known as Michel Lonsdale, and uh, we'd also have seen him in The Day of the Jackal, uh, yeah. And he was also in The Name of the Rose and Remains of the Day. He obviously liked doing films that were of the... Um, he was in Ronin so, well, wasn't he? Was he in Ronin? He was in Ronin, yeah. Oh, wow. Do you know, mm. I don't remember much about Ronin wasn't aside from that car chase. That, wasn't he the doctor that Ronin visits to remove the bullets? Ah, <laughs> okay. Sort of French chateau. Well, mm-hmm. not French, like a French sort of um, gentry's, like... Um, like a farm, like a what am I saying? A farmer's house, mm. and he he sits down the chair and provides him with all the, the gear, like an old an old friend of his that used to fix up Ronin whenever he was injured after a, a particular difficult mission. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's who he was. He he had a very long career. He he only left us two years ago, sadly, at the age of eighty nine. Jean Pierre in that film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He was also he did appear with another 007, Daniel Craig in Munich. Oh yeah, very very good film. Um, mm. So yeah, I thought he was quite good in this. He was a good Bond villain. He was quite yeah. sinister, um, very smooth. Uh, I thought he did a really really good job. Alex, what did you think of the villain in this one? I think, yeah, he always seemed to be quite in control of the situation. Even when things were getting away from him, he seemed to be like, you know, don't worry, I can do this. Don't worry, I can do this. Uh, right until the end, he was he was pretty much still quite had quite a good screen presence. There were there were a few. I think <clears throat> it's it's really difficult not to nitpick, and I think um, I think it, it, you know if you nitpick, you you you'll sort of take some of the fun out of it. Um, but you know, I do think as a as a villain goes, he was pretty good. You know, he wasn't he wasn't the most compelling villain though. He didn't really have any much depth to him. But it but was looking, fine. Looking back at this as a as a Bond film, he fits the classic villain mold completely. Yeah. Oh yeah. So in, in in sort of retrospect, he's a classic crowd pleaser of a villain. But at the mm. time, perhaps that was different. Does that make sense? I, mm. I think yeah. it's funny because one of the things that I found interesting about his so when you 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 look at his plan to repopulate the earth. And it gets progressively worse as as he kind of explains it, and it's it's almost like we've kind of heard it in reverse. So by the time you get to the end, you're kind of going, "Oh, okay, that's pretty dark." Whereas at the start, you're just kind of going, "Oh, yeah, well, I want to go up to space too." And oh, that repopulating sounds quite nice. And it's it's almost like he 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 missed a scene where he he kind of should have 
spelt it all out as we are all, you know, we all need Big to be monologue. obliterated. Yeah, it yeah. Feel, it felt like he, he missed that somewhere. There was there was plenty of him doing exposition, but I just it it was weird because when when you get to the space station and you see these uh, like pods full of um, uh, poison, um, all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, this is really deep. Yeah, this is dark stuff. This is great. Um, but but for for the first half of the film, he didn't really get any of that. It and, was pretty. Um, it was- Pretty dark when he sent the dogs on uh, uh, Serene, though. I thought extremely, yeah. yeah. That was, Do you know that really? Yeah, that's true. This the style of editing and the way that was shot reminded me of old classic, you know, seventies horror films like The Omen and things like that. It had yeah. very much that sort of vibe to it. And probably mm. the re- reason I don't remember that scene is because it was probably another one that my mum maybe fast forwarded for some reason. <laughs> maybe I was just playing with Lego or my Star Wars. So I was probably f- playing with my Star Wars figures up until it got to the space bit. That's oh, probably right. more like it. Yeah, exactly. Do you, yeah. Think, do you think though? Um, again, I, I, I think of strange things when I watch these films. Do you think that the the only reason that they made those gas canisters out of Venetian glass is so they could use Venice as a location? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah, I it mean, was it was very flimsy. Yeah, yeah, it, it was very follow the trail of breadcrumbs, so that we can get to another amazing location that yeah. Cubby had a great holiday in and decided we need to use this place. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Um, Yeah. So, uh, we should go, we should go back to that chateau, shouldn't we? And pick up the thread because there's some cool stuff in this point. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, he gets, he gets his shag in, doesn't he? With helicopter pilot Corinne. Yeah. That's shag number one. And, you know, uh, and it's a fateful shag. She's not coming back from that one. Uh, because she then, well, he 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 tells her that he's after information again, as in every film before. <laughs> I want information. Um, she and, turns uh, up quite quickly, doesn't she? Though I mean, she's, there's no real kind of like convincing. Yeah, well, I think and then she does, I think does, does the dirty because he does the creeping around. He he sort of leaves her in bed, and then she and yeah. then he goes to have a little nose around, and then. Um, she comes out, doesn't she? And she's resisting. But then he says, is there a safe? And she gives it away by looking towards where the safe is. Mm. And obviously, once that happens, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, I've gone that far. I might as well just give him the rest now. So you could kind of understand it from that point of view. Um, so, yeah, so he he gets what – I don't even know what he got out of the safe. I just wasn't paying attention. It, well, it was some blueprints for the for the um, hexagonal – hexagonally symmetrical. Oh, that's it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the, the sphere thing that, you know, that they throw out the spaceship at the end. Yeah, um, that's it, which is what but, leads him to Venice. Yeah, but he, he, yeah. he opens some sort of Louis XIV uh, clock that's uh, and the door opens. It was quite a cool scene because then he gets out his, his safe-cracking cigarette case, which was one of the coolest gadgets in the film, I think. Yeah, with this sort of X-ray panel. I mean, absolutely no way that technology could exist in 1979. There were no flat screens that big. You know, it was it was hilarious. Um, it was meant to be like an X-ray device because he, he picks it up, doesn't he, and turns it towards her and says, "Oh, I see you've got you got you got an underwire bra or something mm. um, through a through a jumper." <laughs> but um, did you spot the spy camera though? The camera, the, the, the small, the micro. Yeah, with camera. the double O. Yeah, the lens was the That's middle so O. Cool. You want one That's of those, so- don't you? I wanted. I want that so much. <laughs> I'm sure someone makes a replica. Yeah, you could probably get one somewhere on the internet. I'm sure, uh, or get someone to 3D print one. Um, 
<laughs> so um so he 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 obviously goes on his way to uh, I, I thought it was another pretty cool bit when because uh, they're doing the grouse shoot aren't they and uh, that's, that's and they've Jackie got well. yeah Drax basically has told his henchmen to ensure that some harm comes to Mr Bond um and so Bond basically um you know goes to shoot well we think he's shooting a grouse and he misses but he doesn't miss he actually gets the sniper in the tree that was planted there to take him out which I thought was yeah. really cool because that again it's just that that sort of side to Roger Moore's Bond which is ruthless yeah. and cold exactly A pity you leave us. Such good sport. Unless you're a pheasant. Oh, really, Mr. Bob. Take my gun. A stray bird may fly over. I only stopped to thank you for your hospitality. I'm afraid it will get you to the airport in plenty of time. Come now. I doubt if I'm in your place. Oh, you're too modest, Mr. Bob. Over there. Missed Mr. Bond. Did I? As you said, such good sport. Um, which I, I think is one of the things that he always did manage to play quite well. Um, they, could, they called it out, though, didn't they? It was like, oh, you missed. Did I? <laughs> yeah. <it> like, oh, <laughs> and the guy crashes out of the tree. <laughs> and then the poor Corinne meets her fate after Bond leaves because... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it is quite violent fashion because Drax sets his dogs on him. I thought that was really cool. Those two dogs were so well-trained because earlier in the mansion when Bond first meets him, he chucks two massive stakes at them. All, I, I I get out the car. I haven't even opened the front door if I've got meat in the bag and the dogs are literally tearing the door apart to get on the other side. So for those two to literally just sit there with two prime bits of meat in front of them and not go for I'm them until the click of the fingers... I, I jotted this down when I saw that because I think this is basically character. This is character character development because it's basically showing it's a display of utter authority over everything, isn't it? Like mm. it it shows how how much of a control he has over his the people in his life and the animals that he can just literally make them wait. And it was interesting Bond watching watching him do that as well. Mm -hmm. But it's just utter control, isn't it? Basically, mm. yeah. Absolutely. I kind of feel like this Bond, though, Roger Moore's Bond, is is a bit more observant than Connery's Bond was. Because Connery's Bond was, whilst he was smart, he was a little bit more like a blunt instrument, whereas Roger Moore's Bond's kind of a little bit more sort of canny and suave. And mm. He will clever. always check all exits from a room, won't he, this current Bond? So I feel you know, like he'll be thorough enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. It was mm. that. It was when he saw when he saw um, the glance across to the clock, and that gave away mm. where the safe was. That's mm. the sort of bond he is. Whereas Connery wouldn't have noticed that. He'd have been too busy trying to um, slap some lady in the face, probably. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that they they end up in Venice, um, and oh, I've been uh, in that glass shop. I've been in that shop. Really? Yeah, I reckon oh, wow. straight away. When I went in there, though, it was it was ankle deep in water. It was because of the every so often the um San Marcos Square gets flooded and they put planks out so you can walk across into shops. But the right. shops themselves are, just have a little bit of, they're used to it now. If you look at everything in the shop when you go back and watch it, there's nothing below a certain level in the shop, so nothing gets flooded. 
Right. Yeah, um, oh, it wow. was really cool to see it. And some of the squares they walked through as well. I mean, they were the his route from the shop to that little back square and then to the lab. There was they were not in any way connected. They were all different locations because I recognised some of them as well. I had my honeymoon in Venice, you see. So, oh, um, uh, okay. Got a lot of photographs, and I remember. I kind it. of recognised some of it from Casino Royale as well. Um, so you know, all kind of you know, the sort of fan in me wants to believe that Casino Royale they they had little nods to bonds of the past. Yeah. Um, because I could just see Vespa sort of walking, you know, sort of through that square to get to the bank and bond uh following her and so on anyway sorry we're uh, i'm way ahead of time there because we'll get to that film in about five years um I'm sure that the, um, the the girl in the shop was her voice is dubbed as well uh yeah probably she's the girl that we see later on in the sort of yeah. aztec set isn't it yeah. yeah yeah um yeah so um so here is where he discovers the lab where they're making that sort of nerve gas thing that's going to kill billions of people but no um, animals. No animals, exactly, because yeah. the rats are fine. Mm. But in that lab, I felt really sorry for those two scientists or whatever. Oh, no, before that, though, to get into the secret lab, what, the key code thing was from <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Du- well, du- well, you missed something du- out, Bobby. Du- what? Missed, well, the, the blinking gondola hovercraft chase thing. Oh, God, yeah, this yeah. is why. This is why I don't like doing the film, like, sort of in, in order. order. Because I always forget stuff. I just well no, because I I, I jot down the things that amaze me, and I, and I have it highlighted in extra an extra bright yellow. Because I thought that I was, was going to come on to the gondola though, because I thought the gondola was after. <laughs> um, no. But but and that's the other thing about this more. He loves a bloody boat chase, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, loves God, a good old know. loves a good old boat chase. This well, Roger Moore. I finished I finished my um, Live and Let Die Diaries um, book, and a lot of the the first half of that book is was all the the boat chases um in florida and um he wasn't a massive fan because at one point he um uh broke broke his kneecap and broke a couple of teeth when the boat stopped him very quickly so i think he's probably thinking more like he was thinking oh my god another boat chase it's probably Mm. what what, what i was thinking actually yeah when that gondola (laughs) they rigged a, a 120 horsepower engine to it um and then they couldn't control it it just kept crashing everywhere um, so uh so there was a lot that went wrong and then he when they turned it five silk suits didn't he in that scene he kept tipping him out into the water yeah that's right and then the very final time he had take. one yeah. suit left um and and yeah silk is not silk and water basically uh are not good bedfellows um mm. so uh so yeah and then when it turned into a hovercraft i mean by this time i was just laughing hysterically <laughs> i just found it so funny but they also had the man looking at the wine as the gondola went past. The same man who looked at the wine on the beach. I'm not sure it was the same actor, but that sort of running theme of um, I've drunk too much looking at his wine. Yeah. Did you see that, Alex? Yeah, I saw that. It, and I, then I, there, I there was another uh, afterwards someone poured was pouring wine. Yes. As well. <laughs> that was another out. one. <laughs> but to get to get that gondola. To go across San Marco Square with all those crowds of people through them, I'm sh- pretty sure they couldn't all be extras, or you know, maybe they weren't. No, so they first of all, the sorry, I just put myself on mute to go and tell my dog to shut the f- up. Um, <laughs> the um, and funny enough, she started when we were talking about those bloody dogs. Um, so the the drunk guy was the same drunk guy from the man with the golden gun. So they basically mm-hmm. continue the same guy. It's the same assistant same director. Actor. 
same location. Uh, okay. He's not an actor. He was like a location yeah. director or whatever. Um, so same guy. So they're going to continue that gag. So look out for him in subsequent more films. Yeah. And uh, as in Roger Moore, not Croydon mm-hmm. Moore films. Mm-hmm. That wasn't bad English. M W R E. The crowds in Venice were tourists. They couldn't clear. They just couldn't clear Venice of them. They were just there, and when the when they had when they were pulling the hovercraft along with more on it, obviously, what a tourist going to do? They're just going to stand there gagging at you know this weird thing. Not all of them knew necessarily that it was well, James Bond. That's but that's that would be the reaction if if that scene was real, wouldn't it? Anyway, so you're going to get yeah. a genuine reaction out of people, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So they just kind of continued, you know, just just decided to just keep it going and and just roll with it. Which and, you know, mm. and I think for those sorts of things, the film is is all the better, um, all the better for it. Because like when they have him arriving in Venice, he arrives on Concord, and what happened there was that he actually was ill. He had a a, a stone lodged between 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 his kidney and and his gallbladder or something. Oh, so gallbladder stone. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he basically couldn't get to set with everybody else. So they, so filming was delayed. But they, they, he said, "I'll be able to have the procedure, and then I'll get over as quick as I can." So they put him on a concord to get over there. And while, uh, and so Roger Moore says, I think in his diary that he's on the plane. The plane lands. He can see from the plane that the film crew's there, and they're actually rolling the cameras. So they film the Concord. So that's why Bond arrives on Concord. It's because Roger Moore came over on Concord, basically, because <laughs> um, that was nice. the fastest way in those days, obviously, to 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 get him from A to it's B. Still the fastest way in these days if Concord was flying, because nothing's beaten it. Yeah. Well, let's segue yeah, here. One, that's my one. I mean, real wish, um, and I feel really sad that I never got to fly Concord. Mm. That was Concord was only for like super duper rich people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was like, I mean, it was stupidly fast and the fuel costs were astronomical and there were lots of safety issues, which is probably the main reason why Concord shut down, really. Um, and I think, because again, because the price, they priced themselves out of the business. But Yeah, the economics didn't work, did they? Yeah, but amazing. I mean, they, were they were they French-designed Concords? I think they were, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, I think it so, It was a yeah. partnership between um, Air France and British Airways. Yeah. Lovely, lovely things, my yeah, I've got to fly one once. It took him like my, three, two, three hours to get to America. It was ridiculous. My biggest memory of Concord was a Kenny Everett sketch where he he's playing the piano as Barry Manilow. <laughs> he turns around yes. and he's got a Concord. Do you remember that? He's got yes. a Concord <laughs> attached to his nose, and he's bigger not, and bigger and bigger. He gets it? bigger and bigger. Yeah, and <laughs> he's knocking everything over. I don't know how I remember that. It's just like really weird things that you hold on to from your childhood. Yeah. Like oh, two of the yeah. young ones, basically in the shower and sort of crashing through the window when the lights get cut off or something. Um, <laughs> Neil and the other one. Anyway, um, I was never allowed to watch the young ones. Um, so yeah, if I was watching it, it was in secret. Um, mm. So uh, so yeah, so Venice, hey, beautiful place. Because I can't remember what happens after Venice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after well, they have the whole the whole the whole um, he he meets Holly's knee on the um, uh, oh yes he does uh, and they talk about pooling resources and and then he gets his shag number two yes and she, yeah she does a quick exit with her bags and he um, 
he tries to he gets the old the old um the minister in to show them where the lab is and it's not there and old um Drax has been being very clever at getting rid of the getting rid of the lab very quickly. Yeah. Um so it's kind of like wrapping up that scene fairly quickly in, in uh, Venice to move on to Rio, isn't it? Is it Rio next? Yeah. Yeah, well also there's a big fight, isn't there? Because Chang is in Venice oh, yeah. and and fight. he attacks he attacks Bond. So there's that sort of sword fight with and the other guy's got the the kendo stick or whatever saber. it is. It's, it's, it's a saber. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um it's, they basically they smash up millions of pounds worth of um Verano glass, don't they, basically? Yeah, that's right. Because there's also mm-hmm. that vase that's worth, you know, in excess of a million American dollars. So I was looking yeah. at it and it's like Bond One straightens million. it. And even I was like, oh, oh phew, thank God for that. And then literally in the next second, the other guy <laughs> just smashes it smithereens. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, it again. It was just another. That was the one thing I thought about Roger Moore is is his fights to date had been quite good because he got involved with seventy, eighty percent of the actual stunt work involved in those fights, which always helps for an authenticity and and so on. So um, so well, yeah. I mean, nat- naturally, Bond is a is a good swordsman. He would have had um, um mm. you know a classical schooling and of sword fighting. Well, probably probably use the rapier fencing. Like the defense fencing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See Septem and all that. You know, exactly. I did a bit of fencing at school too, by the way, Bobby. Yeah, well, we we've, we've got a treat fencing wise in the Bond series coming yes, up at, at some with point, Madonna. haven't we? With Madonna, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Toby, what's his face? I, um, I I took up fencing at school because a pretty girl did fencing and I wanted to be near her. Um, and she ended up going on a blind date, in fact, with, with Cilla Black. Not with oh, me. Wow. Oh wow! that's that's oh. a different story. But um, Lucy, there you go. Oh, yeah. We didn't have fencing at our school because we were one of the worst state schools in the country. The closest we had to fencing was people carrying <laughs> knives. Well, you were fen- you were fencing cigarettes, weren't you, around the back of the uh, by the back of the sheds? Fencing no, I wasn't one of them. So what I used to do is I used to get a kid to nick stuff from Tesco's, and then I would sell it and undercut the tox shop. I got into so much trouble for that when I got found out because I didn't realize where their takings were so low. And it's because basically I was supplying everybody uh, with their stuff. The early, uh, early entrepreneur Bobby coming out there, you see? Yeah, totally. I used to cut like my gym bags. I used to cut the lining so that I could hide all my little, you remember those money bags when we were kids that you take to the bank with your silvers in one and your bronzes in it. Yeah, so I used to just cut the lining of my gem bags to hide all those little money bags and then sort of sew them back up together again. Don't listen to this, kids. Don't, this is bad. Don't wow. Listen. This is a yeah. dark side of you. Bobby. If you're I, didn't, a, I didn't know you yeah. had it. <laughs> it's like Bill Nye in Love Actually, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Be like oh, me yeah. and you know become a pop star and they give you drugs for free um anyway sorry yes children don't listen to what i just said um and anyway uh yeah it's a lot of hassle slicing open your gym bag to put money bags in there and hide them from your parents just take contactless payments i'll put a link in the show notes to a website where you can get a contactless car reader and set up an account that your parents won't be able to find out about um and you can always give uncle bobby an email at tonyandtalkpodcast at gmail.com for any other advice you want on starting your entrepreneurial <laughs> journey um so nice. uh, so we so bond gets out of venice uh he's got a vial of the gas that he gives to m for analysis mm-hmm. um and m obviously has to sanction a um 
unauthorized mission sort of told bond that he's better take two pay two weeks paid leave mm. because drax is obviously mates with someone in the government and it's causing an international kerfuffle um yes exactly and so he goes on holiday to rio de janeiro um and this is where we get a number seven shirt oh that's good suit that are we back to clothes again yeah sorry (laughs) but his his linen suit and salmon shirt uh, style i like i really want to get a linen linen suit for summer probably okay i'll I'll sort it quote me a price please and put some money aside no problem um (laughs) yeah it's it's really cool actually Uh, do, do you know what because I've got a suit kind of similar to that. And when I wore it last summer with a pink shirt, oh, man, <laughs> just walking down the street in Putney. Um, turning. Oh, God, yeah, they were totally. We I had blokes blue... having their tees at their tea shops, seeing him walk past. Yeah, they were Blues. younger than Blue Rinse Brigade. <laughs> um, I had some blokes <laughs> shouting, oh, it's the man from Del Monte. And I was, oh, oh for goodness sake. He, he oh. didn't have the hat, did you? Just no, say. I didn't exactly. He didn't say yes. I did not say yes. I said off. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so anyway, so we're in Rio, and um, this is where we get the cable car sequence. Um, why they're taking the cable car, I have no idea, but the cable car gets stopped by Jaws, and uh, and then Jaws basically sort of heads on down to meet them on their cable car. And this is where we get one of probably the most dangerous stunts in Bond film history to date, um, because the um, because there was a lot of moving around on top of that cable car. They couldn't practically be harnessed up because the wires would keep getting caught everywhere. So the stuntman uh, had his name and I've lost it, but he basically um, said that he thought he could do it untethered and that bit where that, he's hanging where he's hanging off yeah was falling down he hasn't side. got a wire that's him hanging off because it's obvious that that more is in some studio with a very 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 yeah. plasticky flexible cable car beneath because he keeps bending the windows but the the dude uh, down down by you know the mount mount of christ redeemer he was he was not that was not good for him mm. it was dicky graydon um and uh yeah that bit where he's hanging over the edge um the the director lewis gilbert was at the bottom of the slope obviously and they're filming this thing um and then suddenly he just freezes because the guy's hanging off the edge of the thing for dear life and um the stuntman's hanging on all the whole crew's hanging on because the director hasn't yelled cut yet so someone had to nudge lewis gilbert and say cut cut um, and then he came to and he's yelled cut and then they were able to to grab Dickie up and, you know, stop him from falling a thousand feet to his death. Bloody hell. Wow. That's that's what I found amusing, that they went to so much prep for the parachute sequence. And then yeah. for this, it's, you know, it's, it swings and roundabouts, really. It's like that guy that set fire in an earlier Sean Connery film. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Can we yeah, talk about Jaws's, Jaws's jump from... One to the other, please. He flew. Was, he? It was hilarious. It was hilarious. He, he levitated. It, it was so funny. It was like it was like I'm just going to jump over, and then he just hopped, and then it, you just saw the it, picture of him like arriving at the other one, and you were like, "No, he didn't." You almost half expected one of those car record magnets to be hanging up from the other side that was pulling his teeth <laughs> up. 
So, yeah. 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 Exactly. But that's that's what we kind of, as children. That's what we loved about Jaws, right? Because he was kind oh, of yeah. scary but cuddly at the same time. Yeah. Um, but this this sort of dumbing down of Jaws from being this sort of terrifying thing to what he became in this movie was mm. partly inspired by the director's grandson because the director's Lewis Gilbert's grandson, who was on set one day, basically tugged at his grandfather's sleeve and said, "Why does Jaws have to be a bad person?" And that that's where the inspiration for Jules's story arc comes in. in love. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not even so much the Jules in love bit because I guess a villain can fall in love, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we'll, we'll talk about it when when we get there. But this is where can, you know the cable car does end up. Sorry, come. We haven't me- we haven't mentioned um, Bond Shag Number Three yet, though, have we? Which happened before all this? Oh, with the uh, Rio de Janeiro Manuela. girl, Manuela. The very pretty one, yeah. Well, actually, that's where we see Jaws first, isn't it? Because there's the carnival, Mardi Gras. He's the clown, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Those were Again, that's quite scary, I thought. That was was quite scary. That was quite scary. It's creepy. The way that was filmed, it was like those horror movies where there's that character in the distance and then it gets closer and so on. It follows, yeah. Oh, my God. That film was so Mm. creepy. Um, So we should do a horror movie... Yeah, man, because I saw Smile. That turn. Was excellent. Really? Yeah, 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 I saw Smile. I really enjoyed it. Oh, okay. I'll um, I'll rent that and we'll watch that That's then. It. So yeah, really let's good. let's do a let's do a horror horror movie yeah. episode of Play yep, Paul's yep. Turn. Um, yeah, cool. I'm sorry, listeners, but <laughs> you know, Alex, John, and I we're all very very busy. So you know, if we have to organise our other podcast on this one, just deal with it or press that skip forward fifteen <laughs> seconds button. Um, so... They're doing that already. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or they switched off. We, we, yeah. didn't, we didn't mention the um, uh, we didn't mention the assassin in the gondola as well. Who you know the one in the oh. coffin. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was the knives. There were so many. (laughs) There's just there's so many people popping up, and there's so many gadgets because even he, even that was a gadget, like his thing with with the coffin. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Anyway, um, anyway, we get up to so we're in Rio, and oh um, yeah, we need to talk about the whole sliding down. Yeah, I mean. Because at the beginning of that sequence, I thought, oh, they're not going to slide down that because that's just instant death. But they do. But you know where yeah. I reckon they got that from? Star Wars. Uh, romance, romancing the Stone. Oh, yeah, Star Wars. Uh, no, Star Wars. Because yeah. I think Romancing yeah. the Stone was after. It was. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was 81. There is, yeah, there's yeah. quite a lot they piled into that. But the other part, was, I was thinking to myself, apart from the fact that that would be death. Um, yeah. But the other thing is, it's like, you can't follow it down quicker than the than the actual cable. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it, it's it's attached. It didn't. Oh, anyway, it's just so annoying. Yeah, the this, so. the scene implies that the the cable car is 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 traveling along the cable, not that's right. The cables, Instead of actually, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like you know what else? The wrong way on an escalator, isn't it? Really? You know what else we missed, right? So this goes to show just how much there is in this film, yeah. right? Packed. We we missed mm. the bloody um thing that spins around really really bloody fast in the centrifuge centrifuge thing. We completely missed oh, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. So that was well. I we mean, did mention it. We did say try and get uh, make sure it comes to some harm. And then do and then, you think though 
Do you think that they spun him around for real, or did they just blow him, blow him in the face with a hairdryer? No, they blew him in the face with a hairdryer. Not not a hairdryer. Oh. It was um, oh, okay. very powerful vacuum thing. Yeah. Um, and Roger Moore said um, that he he was surprised that he had any hair left after that. It was so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> you could see his face though on the video. He was quite <laughs> dishevelled, wasn't he? Really? Yeah. <laughs> 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 didn't it need did any like help. a Roger Moore sex face at one point, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, um... Oh, bless him. How old is he when he makes this? Is he 50? Yeah, when he does this one. That's a good uh, point, right? Be. I was could gonna be. look that up. So so the other bit, so so let's talk about um Jaws. Let's go back to Jaws because after Bond and uh Holly? Yeah, Goodhead. Holly Goodhead. Um mm-hmm. Escape. Um, obviously, Jaws has still got something to deal with because he, the the car thing that he's on then crashes into the terminal, um, but he survives again because you can't kill Jaws, um, and that's where he no, meets. He just got one of those, the, the, one of the motors around his neck, the, yeah, the, that's yeah. it. like cable cable wheels. <laughs> yeah. goes, oh wow! And he pulls it off his neck and brushes off the dust again. And then he sees, <laughs> and then he sees Dolly. With possibly the lowest cleavage in in Bond history, or hem- it, what do you call? What do you call this bit? Wench. It was, it was yeah. I mean, wench. it was literally yeah. even even Carolina commented, and she was like, like, how low could that thing get before you could see her nips? Um, but anyway, mm. there we go. She was actually prettier than I remembered her from when I was a kid, because for some reason I thought she was spotty or whatever. But she actually wasn't uh, um, unattractive. Age update, Bond age update. So in the novel, Ian Fleming said that um, when Bond reached the age of 45, he should basically retire, come off the double O list and be given like a desk job. Um, So Roger Moore was 45 in Live and Let Die. That was 73. So he would have been 51 in this film. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was 50-ish. Possibly. His birthday was in the same year, but after the filming, so he was still fifty. If that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, I know what's it. His last one, View to a Kill, he was like fifty-seven. Um, so yeah, so it, it, from here it starts to get steadily creepier, especially when he's with younger Bond girls as well. Mm. Um, but anyway, he's still entertaining. Um, so yeah, so Jules just basically <laughs> gets his wagon wheel off his uh, off his neck. Looks at looks at Dolly, big smile. She smiles at him, and then they hold hands and just walk off. Um, you know, and that's that. Um, I so love hearts in my notes at this scene. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's but then there's uh, another speedboat sequence, isn't there? Well, it's the ambulance there's sequence a... before then, isn't there? Yeah. Well, there's the ambulance but... sequence, but then there's this, another speedboat sequence because there's the the second largest falls in the world there in Rio, and they basically decided to launch a boat off the end of it. Um, but I don't know if that was in this bit. I can't remember exactly when, it was, when that was. But it, it, but it was after the. Uh, it was after Bond. So Bond and um, uh, Holly get kidnapped and put into an ambulance, and she, she uses her her sexy wiles to. to... That's it. Just distract the um the guy in the oh ambulance. my god this and was then... oh yeah 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 gets, sorry can I gets, can I just there's a gag yeah, was, in this gag. film yeah it's like a running <laughs> gag like every time they're up against a bad person 
you know, it's like Roger Moore gives a little sort of wink and a nod and a smile, a cheeky little, yeah. And then Holly does the same thing. And then they end up disarming them. But, the, you know, the thing I absolutely love, though, was the chemistry between Richard Keel and Roger Moore. Yeah. Um, because every single time, like when he first sees him, like even smile. when he's, yeah, the way that Roger Moore smiles at him as well, like he's imitating his Here teeth. But that was so we funny. Begin. But I loved it. It was so charming, really. But you almost kind of, the... yeah, but it almost didn't even look put on. It just sort of looked like how you know Roger Old Moore would have chums. taken the would have taken the mick out of Richard Kill having to wear those stupid things in his mouth, right? Mm. It was just that was brilliant, honestly. Do you know? Do you know my ranking of this film is is climbing the more and more we talk about it. It was it was so much fun. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah. So anyway, so so um, Bond ends up in the Aztec place, doesn't he? Well, they, they, uh, because he, Holly... meets, he meets up. He meets up with MI six, doesn't he? First with with the Kung Fu monks. But that's when he and he they, starts uh, being Clint, Clint Eastwood. Isn't it? Yeah, he wears that. Oh yeah, fun. yeah, that's right. All it, it, this was really random because it was like it was. Yeah, and they had so the music random. from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly or something. That's Wild it. West Bond. Yeah, yeah it's weird. I mean, I but thought it, I, another... I was trying to sound clever with Carolina because she was like, the continuity is not very good in this film, and I was like, well, maybe they decided to do a little nod to Rawhide because he was in that series when before he became Bond. Um, but obviously, that that's wasn't the music from Rawhide. It was, yeah, I know. It was well, not no, really. Show, it's plausible. It was they, plausible. They, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, Caroline would have would have would have fallen for it definitely. But, yeah, um... totally. <laughs> when she listens to this in about, she's about halfway through these podcasts now, so she's catching up. I, oh, oh, if God. you can't see my bruises because I'm brown, that's why don't she married me. Up. Uh, yeah, it, it, like the be- the beatings don't show, <laughs> but I have been getting beatings after like episode thirty thirty one. I think it was where I said something about a height I got beaten up. Yeah, quite right. <laughs> what did you think of the um, explosive bowlers? Oh, there were a lot of gadgets. Oh, so, yeah. so this was, again, this was the trend now of having Q Branch and, and MI6 or MI5 or whatever they are abroad in different just locations. Up, up. Let's just up and go. Let's, yeah. Come on, Money Penny, let's go to Rio. Come on, Money Penny, let's go to... <laughs> and then they set up the operations moon. there. But yeah, the, the, so, so what did we have here? So we had the exploding bolos... There's the dude, um, the old Mexican dude sleeping under his hat that split open and became a rocket launcher. That's right. Yeah. yeah. There was there was the laser gun, which was foreshadowing the sequence at the end of the film. Yes. With the with yes. the with the face melting. Melting the, the face. The yeah. face. <laughs> which seems strangely kind of slow and weird when you get hit by a laser. You'd think he'd explode, wouldn't you? Yeah. Really? You had the yeah. the balls, the nerve gas yeah, balls. Bowlers, yeah. Yeah. Bowlers, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And then we had um, Q's sort of toxic liquid orchid explainer sequence. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Which then Bond finally, lots about as well. And then yeah. finally, we get the big off-camera gadget where Q says, "You know, I've got something else for you, but you know, you better look after it or whatever." Um, and it's Which the he boat. Doesn't. He doesn't at all. But but then we've got more and more gadgets on this speedboat, right? Because there's a speedboat chase. And then what's he got on there? Oh, so he's so he's got good. the mine the yeah, mine launcher. Yep. He's got like a little yeah. a mini little mini um torpedo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The heat so seeking one. Direction, it goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's heat seeking, John. <laughs> it missed <laughs> it missed them the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of went past them was like, oh right, there you are. Sorry. That's a really <laughs> hilarious crash test dummy flipping people with explosions. 
Yes. They were really funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wilson, and then Alex, it, any and... other gadgets? You think any, any more gadgets? No, I think that's it for the. I think the it's the final one with the hang glider. Oh, hang glider! Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's um, how we got out, wasn't it? The water explosions were cool, though, weren't they? They were really yeah, nice those explosions. death charges they were great. Really spent job. some money on that sequence. Mm. Really, oh god, I'm yawning. Uh, really good job. Sorry, it was an early start for me, so I've been up since four thirty. <laughs> um, but it, really, really good job. Um, and then obviously, Paul Jaws gets launched over the side of a waterfall, and there's that's dummy right. in that. That was hilarious. So this one, so there's there's one of the greatest Bond stunts ever, never to be captured on camera. Because what happened was, they decide they're going to launch a speedboat off this thing because it's the second highest waterfall in the world, and so they it's about four feet of water, but it's constantly rushing, so it's not exactly safe for a human to be standing in there. Um, so anyway, they get the boat and they're holding it in there, holding it, holding, 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 let it go. It goes, it gets stuck on a rock. So about mm. three foot of the front of the boat is protruding over the top of the waterfall. The rest of it is just stuck on this rock. It's not going anywhere. So um, one of the stuntmen basically says, if you get me up on a on a cable and a harness on a helicopter, drop me over the top, I think I might be able to dislodge it. So, so that's what they did. So uh, he had several attempts, and there were a few times where he got dunked underwater, almost drowned. Eventually, yeah. he managed to get onto the boat. Then he tried to dislodge it. He couldn't dislodge it. Um, I can't remember what happened in the end. I mean, obviously, they managed to eventually make it work. But, I mean, this guy almost died trying to make this damn stunt work. Um, you know, all for the love of of movie making, and that's why I say I say it here, and I say it on Play Paul's turn as well. I don't like being too harsh on filmmakers, even when a film is not great, because of the sheer amount of work that goes in behind the scenes. And I think just for the effort alone, you have to appreciate what filmmakers and all the crew, people involved with producing these things, to try and entertain us. And okay, it doesn't always work. But there's a lot that does go in behind these films, and that's why well, I don't like being too too down on on more, films that I don't like. More in those days than now, and so, but in different ways, I think. I mean, there's more work done in a room with computers now. Mm. But I think trying to be a producer for a film and and, and um, just the nightmare, the the arrangements of, of all of the the crews, the film crews, mm. the stuntmen, where now you could do a lot of that in post production, must have been just such a headache. And so many amazing things they've done that are literally just on the cutting floor. Mm. We, we we lost we lost the, the scene of um, Jaws staggering out of the tent at the, in the um, opening sequence. That's mm. lost. There's only like a few stills on the DVD extras that you can see of him wandering out, because you've got to have a picture of um, Jaws coming out somewhere, dust, dusting himself off after nearly dying. Um, but you're right, Bobby. I, I still, again, after reading the um, the, the Live and Let Die diaries as well, is I've got a lot of respect for, the, for these these crews of the 70s and 80s that really, a lot of it was just spit and sawdust, wasn't it, really? And it yeah. came together and looked so amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of looking amazing, this film, it's aged really well, I thought. It looked, I mean, I saw it on iTunes because, I, as you know, I bought yeah, all of them. So I saw it too. Yeah, in 4K, you can see it, 4K in 4K. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. It looked fantastic. It's, it's the best looking one I've watched so far. Yeah, yeah. and I then went back and watched the featurette, one of the extras, which shows the original footage in the original four by three, 
and uh, how they converted that to 4K must be machine learning. So it just looked yeah. so terrible in the original version. But the mm. 4K, it was, and the color color grading was really beautiful in this film. Mm. Very. How did you, you see it, Alex? Did you see it in 4K? Yeah, off the Blu-ray. Yeah. So, and I'm, I mean, I couldn't fault it. That's the the thing. Like, one of the weird things was that you know, yes, you could tell when there were like stunts on a green screen yeah. and the miniatures. Um, but I wasn't, but I wasn't thinking to myself like this was really naff. I was just like I was enjoying it, and and I think that's the thing. There are a lot of um, mo- more modern films that wouldn't have got away with that. Um, I mean, you know, yes, there were lots to to pick pick holes on. And you know the the whole doing it, um, the whole zero gravity stuff only partly worked. But but the thing is, it didn't really matter because it was just the the scale that they did things uh, was so good that you just didn't it didn't matter. It was, it was just so enjoyable. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah. watch you could watch it, and that's that's what tells you it's a good film. Like is, is that you know these little things that we're chuckling at, we we still love the film because of all mm. these things. Um, because it was still so enjoyable. So that's yeah. great. I mean, let's talk about the space sequence now, because we're pretty much yes. almost there anyway, because obviously the, yeah. the reason they're in Rio is because they learned that the toxin comes from that rare orchid. It's amazing how much Bond knows about all these rare flowers and things. He's done his homework, <laughs> Bobby. You know, he's a yeah. professional. Yeah. But he's, he's, a, he's like, he asks the guy, says, can you call up the DNA sequence or whatever it is for me? And then he looks at the DNA formula and he's like, oh, it's this plant blah 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 and they're like oh yeah very good mr <laughs> very good bond well done um you know m's m's very proud of him at this point anyway yeah. um so yeah. so talking about the space sequences so obviously they they go up to to drax's space shuttle uh, space station in moonraker six and uh and there's six moonraker shuttles overall that are taking this master race because that is drax's plan is to to basically yeah Mm. is to kill all of human life on earth um have his his perfect humans procreate up on the space station and then send their seed back down to the planet to repopulate the earth in his image there's one fundamental problem with this bobby right Mm. he's got all the lovely beautiful people up in his spaceship but who's going to fix the engines and who's going to do all the menial work if he kills them all he hasn't worked this out. He still needs the working classes to fix all his machines and mow, mow his chateau lawns and and you know beat the beat the, the um, grass out of the grass mm-hmm. and so on. And his 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 poncy friends all snogging on the, on the uh, shuttles aren't going to do that for him, are they? Really? <laughs> this is the problem with megalomaniacs, um, yeah. John. You know whether it's creating a master race and wiping out human humanity and putting your own people on the earth that can't do anything else or whether it's leaving the eu you know they just don't think forward do they <laughs> so uh so yeah there we go we don't get political on this show but brexit what a load of tosh <laughs> um so but the one of my favorite shots of the film was when we get the reveal of drax's space station um you know the light just well, hits the three, top or Thunderbird 3, yeah, exactly. The light just hits the top of that miniature and then and then as it gradually reveals the whole thing, it was just absolutely stunning. Um, I, I just, I, I, and in 4K, again, you know, like you guys said, you just couldn't fault it at all. It just looks seamless. 
They put so much work into that. All the miniature work was done on the 007 stage at Pinewood. Uh, all of it was done on the 007 stage. Um, the space shuttles themselves, the biggest one was about five foot tall. But again, they were mostly miniatures. Um, they got lucky, but- didn't they, Bobby? Because the um, the design of the space shuttle hadn't re- been fully released by then. NASA hadn't released this, this design. So they spent they spent a lot of they spent a lot of time up at NASA because they they really wanted to make it. Well, they haven't finalized a, it, had they? No, uh, I can't remember what quite. I can't remember exactly what happened, but they had he had a design for a space shuttle. Then they had the obviously the unused shuttle at NASA, which they saw, mm. and that become that became the inspiration for what we then finally see in the film. Um, the funny thing, I mean, Ken Adams again. I mean, he'd previously done such amazing work in the previous films, like The Spy Who Loved Me and the sets that he did in in um, the the later Connery ones and so on, but. You know, for this one, there's a quote from one of the production team. They say one of the most expensive things in filmmaking is Ken Adams with a sketchbook and a pencil. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the the title sequence for this film costs more than Doctor No. Well, the Someone whole of Doctor No. <laughs> so initially, that the, the title sequence of the film costs more than the whole budget for Doctor No. So someone, someone somewhere is is um, spending a lot of money. I think Cubby had balls with this film because at the beginning, yeah. before they started shooting, they were like, we need to tell United Artists what the budget is for this. And then, you know, he in the end, he just turned around and it flippantly, it was just like 20 million. And they were yeah. like, are you absolutely off your rocker? Like, we can't go to United Artists and tell them that we want to spend 20 million on this Bond film. And, and he just shrugged his shoulders and said, it's going to be the biggest and the best one yet. They'll want more after this. And it was. Yeah, Yeah. it totally was. So the space station stuff, um, we had all the zero gravity things and they were all on harnesses for that. So Lois Charles um, is quoted as saying that she absolutely loved doing all of that work because it made her feel like she was sort of flying like a little bird. Um, And, you know, I I think, again, they did a really good job considering it was 1978, 79, uh, you know, all of that wire work going on and you didn't see any of it. Um, you know, I, I thought I they did, did a great, think, great job. I did think making everything, like filming a lot of the scenes in slow motion and then making that feel like that's low gravity was a bit weird because you mm. don't move slowly in low gravity, you just move differently. I thought yeah. that was quite hilarious. But at one point, in the, in, you could tell inside the shuttle they were acting out the slow motion as they are doing it. Like that. It was a bit, so I'm waving my hands around now. And they're sort of <laughs> running to the control sort of switches yeah. or whatever. And yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they, just... um... Sorry, Alex. No, it's fine. It's just Goodhead's hair was just gave all of it away. Because <laughs> obviously you can't do anything well, with yeah. hair. Yeah. With the shot when the space station exploded, all the particles just dropped downwards on set. That was That's quite it. funny too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they um they won. Uh, sorry, they got nominated for an Oscar for special effects for this. They lost to Alien. I can uh, see that. But uh, I know, can see just... why they were nominated. Yeah. But I, mm. I I'm not surprised that Alien beat them. Now, but, can, can I just it... ask? Did, did did when they went to NASA to look at the design of the shuttle, 
Did they also get advice on the design of the women's space outfits? They seemed quite <laughs> impractical to me. I know, I know that you know there's no gravity in space. You'd have to worry too much about things falling out. But they seemed quite impractical to me compared to the men's outfits. Was yeah, that because ex- they were quite keen for the master race to propagate as soon as possible? Do you think, Bobby? I think they just needed the spacesuits to be easy to get in and out of. I mean, if they've been the right. same sort of spacesuits <laughs> that we get in for all mankind, then yeah, true. yeah it would have just taken ages, wouldn't it? Getting yeah. in there. Um, right. So, so uh, Holly and Bond basically infiltrate the space station, and then they gather with the rest of the crew as Drax gives his big speech um, about his nefarious plans to do what we've already revealed but but it's within that sequence that we get a brilliant little piece of acting from richard keel where he has this sudden realization and then roger moore does another little brilliant bit of acting and in the dialogue basically just pushes jaws to where he needs needs to be um and it's when drax is talking about his perfect human specimens Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfillment. Your dream, whatever sort of nightmare it is, has no chance, Drax. You think not? We shall see. Fifty globes, each releasing its nerve gas over a designated area, each capable of killing 100 million people. The human race, as you know it, will cease to exist. Then... A rebirth, a new world. U.S. spacecraft on course to intercept us, sir. Activate laser. Prepare to destroy spacecraft. You see, my dear Vaughn, we're well able to protect ourselves against all enemies. Allow me to introduce you to the airlock chamber. Observe, Mr. Bond, your route from this world to the next. And you, Dr. Goodhead, your desire to be America's first woman in space will shortly be fulfilled. Leaving you on your flying stud farm, conceiving your new master race. If you like, yes. And of course, anyone not measuring up to your standards of physical perfection will be exterminated. Certainly. Interesting. Most interesting. Jaws. Expel them. Jaws, you obey me! Expel them! Um, and uh, uh, and then Jules kind of looks up and is kind of like, huh? Um, and then and then he kind of forgets it and looks at Dolly and they're all very happy because they're kind of like, oh, we're going to be procreating as well. And then 007 basically just uh, sort of nudges him and gets him to realise that, you know, once Strax activates his plan, Jules is not obviously the prettiest thing in there. He's not the definition, Drax's definition of the perfect human being and that he'll probably be discarded. Um, so mm. then Jaws has to make a choice. I really, really like that. I like the way they did it. You know, now, they didn't just turn him into a no. goodie. There was a reason for him. He had motivation 
to yeah. team up with Bond and help. Was was that was that the scene where Bond then looks notices the? And I, I'm looking at my notes right now because I've written in my notes, "Lol," to space break. Yeah. Where he presses the button and everyone gets flung around. That's the it. <laughs> I have to just... say, from this scene onwards, I was crying with laughter all the way through. And there's one particular bit we're going to talk about later on that made me almost, I, I literally, I guffawed with laughter. We'll come to that in a second. But this was just br- brilliant. Space battle. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's all brilliant. I loved it. It was really It's it was even again, Holly and 007 get to have their little sort of, um, you know, when they have to stop the radar jamming thing. Yeah, the, um, the and they go into array. that little control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then it's the communications array guys, and then Holly gives them a little smile, and then Roger Moore gives them a little smile, and then they start beating them up. Um, I thought um, Lois Charles, Holly Goodhead. I thought she held her own really well here. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of showed that she was a s- sort of you know competent CIA agent and all the rest of it. Um, so uh so yeah but drax gets his comeuppance pretty quickly actually in this uh because 007 goes after him when you know the army turn up or whoever they are um and start i mean i mean this whole sequence with the astronauts turning up it was basically uh it was basically thunderball in space (laughs) um and none of it was realistic at all i mean for all the for all the work that they did doing their homework trying to make it as close to science fact as possible this whole thing was complete science fiction you don't come out of a space shuttle untethered and just kind of float across able to just go shooting at whoever it's also you're shooting lasers near a hermetically sealed capsule if you hit it everybody inside is going to be ejected through the air and die yeah totally you know what i mean it's just like first rule of space right is don't shoot guns inside a spaceship that's the first rule of space exactly as space we know dangerous as anyway. we know from the jamestown incident john yes exactly for those of you who have not seen for all mankind if you haven't got an apple tv plus subscription get one or nick one or yes, do whatever maybe. you have to do and if yeah. you have Can got I an have Apple a TV, in, Bobby, uh, we will. <laughs> He's got one. We in don't the, in, in, the, in the in the in the slice sections of his yeah, kit bag next to all the money. It. We Tatering used to get talk. a free year, didn't you? You used to get a free year of um, Apple uh, TV yeah. that anymore. Well, you know, you would if you were buying. Oh, actually, do you know what? The next time I buy a new thing, I'll give you my Apple TV no, plus it's t- code. It's t- is no, it's it's tied to your Apple Apple oh, is that? email address. A shame. Anyway, um, I'd just oh, like yeah. to remind listeners that Apple T uh, Apple TV, um, Apple TV slash Tailoring Talk. If Apple TV want to sponsor this podcast, bring it on. Um, Tailoring Talk does not condone password sharing of your Netflix, Apple TV Plus, Disney Plus, etc. Accounts. Um, but uh, if you're writing to the support show, creators pay for stuff. Yeah, exactly. Support creators. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'll speak to you after, Alex. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got one <laughs> yeah. other thing. While while we're talking about this, I have a bit of trivia. Can you name another film in space that came out the same year? Alien. Well, yes, but that's not the one. <laughs> that's not the one I've got in mind. That's not the one. Nineteen seventy-eight, no, seventy-nine, seventy-nine. Well, apart from Star Wars. 
The Black yeah, Hole. Well, Star Wars was yeah. Seventy seven. Black, Black Hole. Hole. The Black Hole. Ah, oh, this that's a Disney film, isn't it? Disney's The Black Hole came out oh, in December the same man. year. It's got a lot oh, of different, yeah. lot of fight, different, different vibes, mood. but um, but the yeah, space definitely. space uh, station. I mean, and the Black it's Hole brilliant. space station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. to say about those. And by getting that the answer to that question right, my contract with Playpool's turn has been renewed for another twelve months. Yeah, Thank we'll you. let you back in. Yeah, we'll let you <laughs> back can I can I can I tell you about the the funniest moment of the entire film for me? Okay. So there's a scene at one point, and I think it's just after uh, we've had a lot of space battles and lasers and um, people being sort of knocked into the distance into stars and things, but. There's a scene where one of the um, Drax's henchmen who are still kind of on the spaceship, quite near like a metal scaffolding behind him. And I have to say, I, 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 I wet myself laughing. This massive hand then comes round and grabs the entire face in one hand of the henchman, and it's George's <laughs> hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was just, the, I don't know why, the it was funniest. Brilliant. I absolutely laughed out loud. It was hilarious. There was just well, I might so bit... watch that bit again at some point. It was just one thing after another, wasn't it? In this whole thing as well. And then when when yeah. Bond uh, when Bond kills Drax, when he puts him in the uh, the airlock, you know, go and go go take a step for mankind or whatever. It's the way he dispatched him as well was just brilliant. Yeah. You know, it was classic. Again, you know, Carolina sort of butted in with the science fact bits, like you know, when he gets blasted out of the airlock in space, she's like, he wouldn't have had time to scream. No, he did just died. <laughs> his blood would have been boiling, and his eyes would have exploded, and all the rest. Exactly, that's it. Which again, we know from uh, for all mankind on Apple yeah. TV Plus. Um, so, uh, so yeah, there we go. So that was Moonraker. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> well, where hold we've on. got the very final scene where you've got to um, mention it. You've got to mention it. Well, um, so so Bond and Goodheads basically yeah. the st- the space station's blowing up. They managed to escape on Moonraker Five. They've got to go after the first three glass balls that have got the nerve toxin in to shoot those. Um, but they can't. They can't um, di- dislock, unlock, disengage yeah, they can't d- because disengage the thing's disengage. Yeah, yeah, the thing is stuck. So, but they see um, Jaws and Dolly on the camera. And Bond basically asked for Jaws's help, and I thought that was really sweet. But also, I was so worried because I was like, "Oh my God, are they going to die? Um, like Jaws is going to sacrifice himself to help help Bond." Um, so, and and you know, Jaws bites through the thing or whatever it is he does, breaks it, and then they go off to go and shoot glass balls in space. And then Dolly and Dolly and Jaws crack open a bottle, a bottle of Bollinger sixty nine that just happens to be in the wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> and then he speaks for the first time. Well, here's to us. Oh, and so that good. I think yeah. is a line that um George Lazenby, it sounds like a George Lazenby line for some reason. Um Possibly. I don't know. Possibly. I Richard will probably write to me after this goes out and tell me exactly what it is, but um but yeah, I was anyone else worried about Jaws at this stage because I couldn't remember whether he lived or died. I, I I think doesn't he did like to live... say that they'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. so no, basically when, so, they, so... when they're waiting, they they see um so when we're waiting for Bond to come up on the screen, they say that they just picked up 
uh, to um, survivors in the ocean. Cause, yeah, because their 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 pod, their module they're in breaks off, doesn't it, before it explodes? That's yeah, right, that's yeah. right. And double yeah. um, O seven says to Holly, uh, "Oh, they'll be all right. It's only a thousand miles to Earth, or something." That's it. Um, so we kind of know sooner they. The commander is told that two survivors are picked up: a tall man and a small blonde woman, implying that Jaws and Dolly indeed survived. They're never seen again after this, but it's been <clears> the jo- the Jaws is left 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 their criminal pasts and um, lived a happy and contented life. Oh. They, Jaws. Jaws was meant to be in a third movie, but then they decided with For Your Eyes Only to go back to a more serious kind of film, pared down formula and so on. Um, mm. Probably the studios telling them off for spending so much money on this one. But they made a lot of money, so it was all right. He was so, in... Um, um, it was in Goldeneye, the N64 game Goldeneye, where he is back working for Drax Corporation again in a bonus level in, in mm. Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. As far as it goes, really. That mm. game was so good. We've got to do a PPT episode just on Goldeneye yeah. or 007 yeah. games or something. <laughs> um, sorry, I digress. Uh, other podcasts. Anyway, back, back to them so, being yeah. caught in, the, in, in, in flagranti delecto. Yes, so they managed to save the day by shooting out the balls that are speeding to Earth with their deadly toxin in. They managed to shoot them. We talked about it earlier. Um, And meantime, back on Earth, they're preparing a satellite link because they've got cameras in the shuttle um, and it's going to go live, government, MI5, defence, Buckingham Palace. So Her Majesty is going to be able to greet and thank Bond for saving the Earth herself. And uh, it... The cameras pop up on Bond and Holly in what would you what term would you use, John? Something clever in with flagranti delecto in gravity, no gravity, gravity free, flagranti delecto. There you go. So apparently, this was really difficult to film because they were suspended on wires for this, uh, Lois and um, Roger, and uh, he kept banging into what? she said he kept banging into her because they oh, couldn't yeah. control the wires <laughs> properly. Um, so she said it was actually really, really awkward uh, to film. Um, but then we get one of the most famous um, lines of the entire 007 Q, series. Yeah. So like, what on earth are you doing? Attempting re-entry, sir. <laughs> no, no, it's we... from Q. Oh, it's from Q. Oh, no, no, no. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. My God, what's Bond doing? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Delivery's so good because he's so so innocent when he says it. He's he's all about the rockets in space, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just brilliant. And then and then Roger Moore's sort of look to the camera, i.e. looking at us, not them. Yeah, exactly. And then turning it off. And then that's it. The film ends. We get the longest credit sequence of any Bond movie to date, because usually it's just a very short sequence. And then they do the James Bond will return in whatever the next movie is. But this one, they did a full credit sequence with the music and everything. So boring. Um, And uh, there's no variation of that Moonraker song that's exciting to me. Um, and then oh, at the end, that should be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. get the so new archives mix. Yeah, that'd be good. yeah. <laughs> um, 
and uh, and then at the end we get exactly the same uh, James Bond will return as we got in the last film uh, for Your Eyes Only, which is the next one that we'll be talking about. So over to our ratings and overall review. Alex, how did this score for you? Um, I'm going to give this... I'm going to give this a nine and a half. Whoa. That's so, really high. It is really high, but the thing is, there's so much to talk about in this film, and there's so much that you're given. It is really hard to knock them down on things. And while a lot of things are cheesy and just ridiculous, it's so fun. It doesn't matter. And it's the one film in the sort of the Moore and and um Connery sort of generation that just is is indelibly like in my head I can't get way away from it because of Jaws and because of all of the, the ridiculous things that happened to yeah me. and it just yeah I think I'm going to give it a nine and a half which is the highest yet wow so that so so this today is your favorite Bond film yeah, honestly, I think this is this is I think this is my my favorite. Brilliant, John. It's funny because because I, I always hear the the grades from the other other team members before I hear my own, and they always mirror my thoughts entirely. I am giving this a ten out of ten. Oh. Now it would have been a nine and a half. For wow, song. <laughs> it would have been a nine and a half for the song, but attempting reentry at the end makes up for that for the bad song and and the face slapping scene so for me this is a 10 out of 10 for exactly the same reasons i didn't look at my watch at one point during the film it's again another two-hour film it the pacing was brilliant there's no there's no kind of it was it was relentless but in a good way uh the, the locations were brilliant gadgets were excellent plenty of jokes brilliant uh, action scenes and fight scenes gorgeous looking Beautiful women, classic Bond villain. It had everything. It's my favourite Bond film yet, definitely, by far. And I'm wondering if anything else will beat that. I'm a bit concerned about choosing 10 out of 10, but it, I thought of this grade last night before our podcast. And I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. I love it. Wow. It's my favourite Bond. So that's amazing, guys, really. That is really amazing. <laughs> Phil, um, I should have mentioned this at the start of this episode, but Phil can be with us. Um, he, he he, and I concocted the idea of the Bondathon, and uh, he's so sorry that he couldn't be here uh, with John and Alex and I today. Uh, he's not very well, um, but don't worry, he's not going to die. It's just a cold. Um, but he and I are going to record a bonus episode um, so that he gets a chance to review the film with me. Um, so I'll try and keep it shorter than this one. But but you'll hear <laughs> Phil within the next couple of days of this going out. Um, and Phil's not looking forward to it. Like he He's like, this film's going to be a stinker. He only remembers very small bits of it from when he was younger. He's going by what he's heard about Moonraker, that it's much derided and so on. I I was going into this thinking that I would put it above Diamonds and above on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which would really put it around the 7, 7.5. But I am going to have to do some jigging around because I've got From Russia With Love as my number one at the moment, a 9 out of 10 and second you only live twice with 8.5 i 
I think I'm going to have to move from Russia with Love up to a 10 because for me it is the perfect Bond film. And I'm going to have to put this in at a nine because I did enjoy it a little bit more than You Only Live... Sorry. You Only Live... No, I did enjoy it more than You Only Live Twice. Hang on. Where's The Spy Who Loved Me? Now I need to go back and see what I rated The Spy Who Loved Me. I rated that quite high, didn't I? Yeah. I must have done. I must have given that a nine. So this is a... No. So I'm going to give this a nine. And I'm going to move from Russia with Love. No, I'm going to give myself some headroom. I'm going to move from Russia with Love (laughs) up to a 9.5. All right. So there we go. But I really loved it. I've been pleasantly surprised at how well this film has has held up. The 4K transfer obviously has helped. Yeah. But you see, a 4K transfer is only as good as what's gone underneath it. And again, testament to the work and effort that went in by the cast and crew. So those shots of the space shuttle flying through space um, was all rotoscope. So what they did is they did the first take with the space shuttle flying across. Then they wound the film back and then they put the next element in. So maybe it's the Earth and then they let it go. Then they wound it back and then they put the next element in, which might be the sun. Then the next element was the space station and so on. Now you imagine when you get into the space battle, like how much of that backwards and forwards they had to do. Now, back in those days, you had to physically take the film out of the can, wind it back and put it back in. And that left you open to all sorts of problems. If it got exposed to light, you've lost your film, you've lost your footage. If it got scratched or damaged while you were transferring it in and out then you've got big problems as well so you know they all in all that film went in and out of the canister over 96 times and for them to have done it so carefully and it's it's then given in the future people doing these 4k high definition restorations the best opportunity to present this film in its best light and this, I totally agree with John. It is the best looking Bond film to date. It looks amazing and it is aged so well. You could argue that probably the worst special effects in this film were the lasers because they do not look as good as the ones in Star Wars. Um, but I'm not surprised. It, it got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Special Effects. It won three Saturn Awards, one for Best Science Fiction Film that year. Um, and and it thoroughly deserves them. It's it's a triumph, and also what it helped to do for the film industry in that the 007 stage, which we talked about in on on the last episode, the 007 stage being used for that level of special effects showed the rest of the world that Great Britain was somewhere they could come to make films that required that level of expertise, technical expertise. Um, So this film is important for so many reasons, and I cannot believe I'm actually saying that to you today because I honestly thought I was going to be like, I haven't got much to say about this. It was crap, and it's marginally better than (laughs) Diamonds Are Forever because it's not very hard to do that. But for me to put it right the way up there as my second favourite Bond film to date of the 11 we've seen. Wow. I'm, I've blown myself away. There you I mean, go. There's some, there's some pretty scathing reviews of this film from a lot of critics. 
which, I, which yeah. I, and I can understand them. I can understand them. Um, Have you got any to hand there? In in most fans' estimation, Moonraker is the worst of all the 007 movies. It's certainly an easy mark for that title. The film has one of the dumbest storylines of the entire series, and its mixture of the spy and science fiction genres is goofy at best. It also exemplifies all the worst traits of the Roger Moore years, namely an over-reliance on silly gadgets, bloated spectacle and bad comic relief. One of the most effective elements of the spy who loved me, the hulking evil henchman named Jaws, makes a return appearance and is immediately turned into a cartoonish mockery of his former, formerly menacing self. Worse, he's even given a love interest, a mute, possibly retarded girl in blonde pigtails and glasses. The jokey meta-movie references that are played earlier more pictures are also back in the form of musical cues from both 2001 and Close Encounters. Plus, one costume straight out of a spaghetti western. Despite a nomination for the Best Visual Effects Academy Award, I find it difficult to believe that Derek Meddings' cornball models and miniatures were very impressive, even in 1979. They look like leftovers from his Thunderbirds children's show. The effects in Star Wars and Close Encounters outclass these by light years. All the reasons they don't like that are all the reasons I like that. I didn't think it was that, but I mean, I was expecting to go into this like with, you know, I'm going to be comparing it to the special effects in Star Wars and Alien and other science fiction films that were out around that sort of time and be thinking, God, this looks absolutely rubbish. But it it's it looks amazing. They did well, let's a be honest. Bang up job. The, the, the effects aren't as good as Alien and Star Wars, but that doesn't matter. No. It really doesn't matter. The, the, the purpose of, of these films was to entertain, right? You know... I think at that time there was high inflation, you know, recession looming, all of that sort of stuff. Um, And, you know, if this film did its job, which it obviously did, because you look at the take, how many people saw it when it was released, um, you know, to take people to another world and to take them out of, I mean, that's what movies are there to do. That's the magic of film. And, you know, if the criteria is a serious spy story that is grounded in reality. Sure, this is one of the worst Bond films ever. But if the criteria is to end, if the criteria is to entertain, this ticks all the freaking boxes. So, yeah. you know, oh. I'm happy. Yeah, this is this is the Bond film I would sit down and watch again straight away. Yeah, yeah. Sense. I can't believe I'm saying I'm agreeing yeah. with you on that. I can't believe it. Poor Phil. Poor oh Phil. God, it's this. brilliant. I know, but but you don't know because he actually, uh, when I spoke to him on the phone earlier, he hasn't seen it because he was sick as a dog. He can't focus yeah. on anything. So, um, so yeah, so I said to him, just take your time. Hopefully he'll get to see it later on this week and then I'll recall with him next week. But I, I've got a feeling that he's he's going to change his mind. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting. Um, brilliant, guys. Thank you so, so much. I'm I'm like really, really looking forward to the next one now. I always just want to keep this train running. Um, so uh, so I think what we're going to do in December, we, you will have had two of these Bondathon episodes. Um, and then in January, we'll, we'll kind of start getting a little bit more more frequent. Um, John, Alex, have you both had fun? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you so much, both of you. I appreciate you. Thank you all so much for joining us once again. We do genuinely love making these 007 themed episodes. I really do love getting your feedback and your messages and notes after each one. Um, Tailoring Talk is on Instagram at Tailoring Talk Podcast. You can support the show by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Roberto Rivella. 
Um, if you love these entertainment-themed episodes of Tailoring Talk, please do check out, you guessed it, Play Paul's Turn. Um, Play Paul's Turn is available wherever you like to get your shows, and uh, you can also head to the website, which is... Show. There we go. John, where can everybody find you online? Well, I mean, who knows these days? Who knows? Mastodon. We're not doing Twitter anymore. <laughs> Twitter. No, Twitter. I'm on Mastodon and I'm on Instagram and I have a few darknet websites as well. <laughs> Where you can buy, get um, Apple TV Plus logins. Special pockets in hiding money. Um, and that too. Exactly. Um, Alex? Where can everybody find you online? I've done this in completely wrong order. Uh, you could just Google me. It's the easiest way, Alex Hansford, and just put me in and I'll be the one. I'm just not a magician. If you, there's a magician who has the Alex. same name. Do you know what I'm going to do for a future you know. episode? Just I'm put Alex that. Hansford, not the magician, and then see what comes up. I'm, I'm going to get the magician on. He's as very a surprise. good. He's very good. I've never met him, but he's good at sleight of hand. Oh, he's quite young, isn't he? A little bit younger than me, and uh, yeah, no. you're, you're better. He, than me. I think the thing is, I'm more of a geek than him, so I've got all of the handles on all of the <laughs> social media, <laughs> and he's probably going, "Damn it, that, that bloody Alex Hatsford!" Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, this outro, which is totally my fault, I have to take responsibility, has messed my outro music that's going on right now, um, but. We will be back next month to review for your eyes only. Do take care of each other. We'll see you on the next episode of Taylor Talk, or at least I will. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. For your eyes only. We ha- yeah, we, we're going to. I was to. trying not to sing that when you said it. For you, it's cracking. That's a cracking song, Ned. It is yeah. Do you know any of the other words to it? Kind of sexy as well, isn't it? When she gets she gets all sort of uh, at the end of the song. I'm gonna have to oh, listen to it I, again. I, I I've got enough of that recording, I reckon, to string a bit together. What do you reckon, Alex? What, to what? to yeah, do probably. the intro for the next one. What? <laughs> for that for your eyes only <laughs> episode, we're gonna intro in with John just singing for your your eyes only. Yeah, over. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna have so much fun chopping this up.